0: Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better, while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today's show is brought to you by Run for PR's Coaching. So Run for PR's Coaching helps runners of all abilities discover their inner strength and potential. They understand how difficult it can be to juggle training, family, career, and other pursuits, and are excited to help support you in your athletic journey while pushing you to new heights. So Run for PR's Coaches work with athletes from all over the world with an online coaching platform that allows them to set schedules, review your runs, communicate feedback, and hold you accountable. That's the big one for me. That's for sure. Hold you accountable. So all their coaches are Boston qualifiers with years of coaching experience. And you can learn more at run4prs.co or their Instagram, which is at run4prs. And if you go to their website and basically ask for more information, make sure you put in the Rambling Runner podcast on the How Did You Hear About Us section. So, Today's episode is with Jen Kistler-McCoy. So Jen is someone who, frankly, we've been trying to get on this podcast for a while, but the schedules always at the last minute never seem to match up. Almost always it was my fault. (laughs) I can can definitely take the blame for that one. But this has actually been um, just so well worth the wait because she was just an absolutely fantastic guest. This is somebody who is improving at a rate which frankly I just find incredible. It's almost it's almost like she's been improving on at like a linear level, which is so funny because you always hear that you never improve your improvement is never linear. It never is. And it seems like for ninety nine point nine percent of people that's one hundred percent true. However, not for Jen. So 2017 she had a bit of a plateau, but I'll tell you what, 2018 has been absolutely fantastic. For her, but it hasn't always been that way from an athletics perspective. I'm gonna let her get into that in terms of just some of the constraints she had on her earlier life uh her young kind of like her uh you know when she was growing up as an adolescent, just the constraints she had from an athletic perspective with her family, and with that being the case, boy, has she grown into her running That's for sure, so I'm excited to for you to hear about this episode with Jen, but before we do that, I also want to say. Not only is she a fantastic runner, but she also has built a very successful small business in Sacramento. It's called SAC Tour Running and uh, Sac I'm sorry, SAC Tour Company. And this is like basically you go to Sacramento, or shoot, even for Sacramento residents, she does tours, some of them are running tours, some of her walking tours, but has literally taken running and an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial spirit, and just combine them. So she basically has her own little running company, in a way, which is just so cool, and seeing how they've expanded over time has just been remarkable. So, with all of that being said, here is my conversation with Jen Kistler-McCoy. Hey, everybody. Just one more thing that I wanted to mention. At the end of the episode, it almost comes across like Jen is cutting me off at points during questions, Let me tell you, that is not the case at all. It's just the audio track got a little messed up when it synced, um, probably because either her or my Wi-Fi network was a little faulty. So don't worry about that. Jen is such a kind person. There's no way she would ever do such a thing. But I wanted to give this quick disclaimer just in case you're curious about that. So, again, thank you so much for listening and happy running. Hello, Jen, and runner podcast.
1: Thank you. It's so honored to be here.
0: Oh, I'm so <laughs> glad you could be here as well. This has been about a month and a half in the right. Making. Yeah. <laughs> So we've we've, we've we've exchanged dates a bunch of times and things popped up. and um, Usually it was me who had to reschedule, which for which I apologize, but I'm excited that you're finally here and we can get this going. In fact, end up working out pretty well because I know you're in the middle of marathon training and you're kicking butt. You're doing all sorts of things. So I, I am really glad that you're uh, here. Thanks. Um, yeah. So first things first, I loved – first of all the post that you had i think it was like august 2nd where you kind of compared your 2016 race results that was like the year that you had started really racing and kind of compared them in 2018 i can't wait to dive into that but first i think the hidden nugget that i loved most from one of your posts was that in 2007 your first instagram i mean your first marathon your your first marathon you wrote that you um you you basically ran the marathon eating jolly ranchers I thought that was hysterical. Oh,
1: my God. Looking back about it. I mean, everybody always makes those rookie mistakes. And my nutrition for the marathon was Jolly Rancher candies. Yeah.
0: As, like, a self-described sugar addict, first of all, that sounds delicious. But how many Jolly Ranchers do you go through in a marathon? I have so many questions about Oh,
1: my gosh. I think – I'm trying to remember. Probably about – I think I had five or six in my little – pocket that I had um, but I used it for all of my training too and I would just kind of keep it in the side of my cheek when I wanted one and just kind of slowly eat the Jolly Rancher when I needed like the energy um, and then I would drink what was ever on the course like electrolyte drinks they had and the water and everything but uh, I never considered any pills or anything like that any kind of foods I was just for some reason Jolly Ranchers seemed perfect so I went with it <laughs>
0: i've done that before kind of put the jolly rancher on the side of my lip but it has like that like it almost has like that corrosive element it does to it. yeah
1: and i was I, I remember thinking about that too i'm like oh, i should probably brush my teeth a little bit extra tonight after the marathon
0: <laughs> right right or like it's like almost like you expect like someone has like like a, like a big thing of chew in right? their lip yeah they're like afterwards like their lip would be all like nasty like that's what i'm mentioning
1: right? like a yeah. like,
0: little like rectangle like indent
1: sheet. right yeah <laughs>
0: Oh, that's tough. That's tough. All right. So I thought first, before we dive into your current running ability, which first of all is fantastic. And I think what you're doing right now from a training perspective, is funny. I've had so many people reach out to me and say like, you got to interview Jen Kistler McCoy. She is like doing amazing things. She's getting so much faster. It's like, it's amazing what she's doing in her training. And I can't wait to talk to you about that because it really is exciting. Um, but before we do, I think it's important to kind of lay the foundation because you have an upbringing that's probably different than most people who are listening to the podcast. So I'll just kind of open it up and let you kind of run with it. But can you just describe like the the setting where you grew up? in? Sure.
1: Uh, I was raised as a Jehovah's Witness. So uh, it's a very um, kind of closed off Christian religion. And uh, their big thing is that you live in the world, but you're not. Of the world. So that means that you don't participate in anything with anybody if they're not Jehovah's Witnesses as well. So we went to, my sisters and I went to public school growing up, but we weren't allowed to do sports or extracurricular activities, so like plays or anything like that. Um, So everything that you did, you were always hanging out with other people in the religion. Um so yeah I didn't even get started in sports until I was a junior in high school I think was the first time I was allowed to do that and that was after My parents had divorced when I was in middle school and my dad had started questioning his beliefs and the religion and ended up leaving the organization. And so after that happened, you know, we celebrated our first Christmas when I was a sophomore. My first birthday was my sweet 16. And then he allowed me to start going out for sports.
0: Now, were you a kid who was kind of, um, do you feel constrained by that in any way from an athletic perspective?
1: Um, At the time, is that what you're asking? Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. I desperately wanted to be involved in sports. I mean, I remember asking my parents to sign me up for dance classes, and I really wanted to do that, but um, I wasn't allowed to do that. And then um, I really wanted to play soccer. That was the sport that I really wanted to play um, growing up, because a lot of my friends played soccer. And I just, I love the aspect of, I didn't really necessarily like running when I was younger, but I loved the aspect of You know, the game itself. Um, But yeah, I mean, I really wanted to to try all those things and, of course, get involved in some of the other extracurricular activities, but uh, to kind of catch up with that later on in life.
0: That's for sure. So you're a very social person. So was it hard for you to navigate? like life in public school, and then have your home and spiritual life in kind of a very compartmentalized area compared to where you were from a school perspective and where your friends were in school? Definitely,
1: definitely. You know, I had a lot of of friends in school, but the hard part was not being able to do things with them after school. So um, they would invite you to the birthday parties, and you couldn't go celebrate their birthdays. Um, If they were having this classroom Christmas party, I always had to step out of the classroom. The teacher would always have something for me to do. You know, so we singled out and alone um, a lot of the time when you really just, especially when you're younger and, you know, junior high, I think was the hardest because you're just really trying to fit in and it's really hard to fit in. Fortunately, I had some friends that were in the church as well that um, weren't really, you know, excited about being in the church. And so we kind of stuck together during our middle school years. But uh, yeah, it's really hard to try to grow as an individual and experience new things when you're restricted from doing new things.
0: So where did you grow up exactly?
1: Kind of, we kind of moved around a lot. So I was born in Denver area and um, I have family kind of all over the country. So we lived in Dallas for a while and then I spent most of my childhood in New Mexico. So uh, junior high and high school was in Farmington, New Mexico. And then I went to college down in Las Cruces.
0: So when you were finally able to kind of try anything you want, I guess at around age 16, what were some of the things that you really gravitated to immediately?
1: Uh, Well, the hard thing for starting sports so late was that um, a lot of the sports were cut sports. So as much as I wanted to try soccer or volleyball, um, I just didn't have the experience to you know, join the team uh, for that, especially being a junior in high school. So my, one of my first things that I did was be a football manager for the boys football team. I had two friends that were football managers and they invited me to join along. So we got all the cold water and the Gatorade ready for them during practice. We cleaned out muddy cleats during football games We at every game did all the road trips with them. So that was also kind of cool because the boys were cute. So I was like, you know, this is fun. (laughs) So, um, but that was my first introduction into kind of watching sports. And then from watching them during practices and games, I was just like, okay, I'm over this. I want in on the fun. I want to try my own sports. So uh, that spring I joined the tennis team and uh, then I did that also my senior year. And then I tried out for the dance team in the summer of before my senior year and it was such a disaster because I had no dancing experience but I was just like what the heck I might as well try um super fun you know learn try to do all these like crazy splits in the air I had no flexibility whatsoever and uh so when I didn't make a team I was just like what else am I going to do in the fall so I decided to join the cross-country team and that's how I got into running
0: Wow. I can't even imagine picking up dance in high school for the first time and like trying out like you must have been like pretty fearless or like, I don't know, like not very self-conscious. I'm trying to imagine like I have a hard time doing things I'm good at in public, never mind doing something I've never done <laughs> well, before. It's so
1: funny because I mean, I am very, especially at that age, I'm very self-conscious. But I don't know. I was just like, let's just go for it. You know, I, I, I practiced really hard, too. I mean, my friend who was an amazing dancer, she ended up making the team uh she uh helped me out with some of the choreography and we would go to a local gym and go into the empty uh basketball court area and we practice our dances with the music and everything and I don't know for some reason I thought I really had a shot but you know that's definitely I'm not that great of a dancer so
0: <laughs> and then you then running your running career and then my started, running
1: career started yeah. thankfully
0: thankfully dance didn't <laughs>
1: exactly. work out
0: because then running thankfully, came. I got
1: cut from the, the team, so, yeah.
0: <laughs> so, what was your first running experience like?
1: Um, I was very slow and not in, like, I'm not trying to say that disrespectfully, but I was very not confident in myself when it came to the running. I kind of just was just doing it to stay in shape and to kind of have an excuse to eat whatever I wanted. And so, my, I guess jumping into the training and being committed that part of it was slow as well so um, I didn't really do everything I was supposed to do but I just kind of went to practices and had fun uh, and we would just go and so in New Mexico you're especially in Farmington, New Mexico you're at elevation I want to say gosh maybe 4,500 feet I can't quite remember uh, and there's tons of just BLM land everywhere. And so our school is surrounded by BLM land. And we would just go out and run on the hills and go run out on the high desert. And a lot of um, Olympic uh, athletes used to go to Farmington to train. Uh, that was like one of the spots we'd always see, like, you know, Olympic runners and stuff training there. So we just go out and explore. Do I remember doing my first six months freaking out that I ran that far and uh but you know I, I didn't really try as hard as i could have and i but I wasn't really trying to compete at that point for some reason I was just doing it to get ready for tennis season and then hopefully have a good tennis season in the spring
0: now do you remember what it was like watching the uh, the olympians run by oh
1: my gosh I just remember them so at the entrance of our school there's this huge hill and it was i remember watching three or four of them running up this hill and it was just it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen because it was just effortless and it was almost like they were just kind of floating through the air up this hill and I was just like wow I can't imagine being able to do that you know and uh it was just it was really cool to see
0: yeah I was once I was once doing a track workout at Brown University and Kim Smith who was one of like the best runners in NCAA history Um, from Providence College and a former Olympian for Ireland and just an unbelievable runner. And two of her best friends were doing a track workout at the same time, but I wasn't aware of it. They had just stepped on the track when I was mid rep and they came past me and the people I was running with. And this was probably the fittest I'd ever been. And they passed us like a stampede (laughs) of horses. Like I've never experienced anything like it in my life. Like I could hear them coming. I was like, what in the world is happening right now? And they just whooshed by us. And it's, and I've, 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 had other experiences as well, but if you haven't seen elite runners run like up close and personal, it really is like an unbelievable thing to experience.
1: Yes, it's just, Oh my gosh. And you think, and you think about your fastest, you know, hundred yard dash or something like that, you know, or hundred meter dash or something. And you're just like, Oh my gosh, this is what they're doing for, you know, long distances. It's just so crazy.
0: Yeah, exactly right. Like I saw all these stats this past weekend when Elliot Elliot Kipchoge set the uh, marathon record. Uh So basically, it's like I saw some funny tweet that was like, "All right, for all you track nerds, Elliot Kipchoge just ran one hundred five one hundred meter one hundred five four hundred meters." Oh, Each my. in sixty nine seconds with zero rest.
1: Oh my gosh, that's so crazy! <laughs> and
0: you're like, oh goodness gracious, like I can't even run one sixty nine. Oh. Never mind, one hundred and five in a row. Oh, it's
1: just the, he's just phenomenal. That's so cool.
0: Yeah, that that it really is amazing. So all right, so so you got so you kind of started in earnest. You got got your your cross country legs. So You kind of like all right, you got into it a little bit. It really wasn't a big deal. So when did you um you kind of pick up running again? Like when did, it, when did it start to become a little bit more of a part of your life? So
1: the, f- the funny thing is that it never stopped after cross country. I kind oh. of just kept running and, but I wasn't doing anything competitively. And um, my, one of my running coaches who's also my photography mentor at the time, back then I really wanted to be a national geographic photographer. So it's kind of, you know, pursuing that, but um, she was an amazing runner and she, I just remember her love of the sport And she had done several races. And for some reason, she has always stuck in my mind. Her name is Mrs. Stackhouse. And I always think about her when I'm doing a race or something because she just always talked about running with such love. Um, So I just kept doing it all through college. I would go for runs um, just to kind of stay in shape. I did a lot of treadmill runs through college. I would run, my usual was five days a week. I'd do six miles on the treadmill at either like a six to 6.5 speed on the treadmill. And I would just do that all the time. And I don't know why I didn't go out on adventures and run around town, but I always just went on a treadmill. And, um, I think my first race I ever did after that was probably 2005. So that was the year I graduated college. That was the first race.
0: So that's like basically an hour on the treadmill. Yeah. Six days yeah. a week.
1: Yeah. 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 So that was. Well, that's, that's pretty serious. Yeah. I mean, I, it wasn't, I wasn't really pushing the pace. I wasn't doing any workouts. I would just, you know, I was always I was afraid of just gaining the freshman 15 when I was a freshman. And then um, I just kind of kept up with it. And it was a really good outlet when I was getting stressed with school or if, you know, anything else was going on in my life, I would just go for a run.
0: I wonder if that built up some mental toughness though cuz running for an hour on the treadmill is not an easy task. No,
1: yeah, and I had and I was in a room with no windows. So it was oh. yeah, it was like the rock climbing room. And so and I don't know why I never even tried rock climbing. I would just go into that room and all these people were practicing all their rock climbing. I would just go on this treadmill. There's two treadmills in that room. Um, on the college campus and I would just go and run for an hour. And yeah.
0: So would you just watch the, the climbers or did you have the headphones in?
1: Um, I would just watch the climbers. I didn't really listen to music too much. Um, I don't even think, I think I had, uh, so we had CD players, you know, back then. Yes. So, um, and they always skipped on me. So every time I would try to go run with one, even on the treadmill, the movement of the treadmill would make it skip. So I tried that a couple times and it just didn't work. So most of the time I was running without music.
0: I know. Can we talk about this for a <laughs> second? So, I graduated college in 03. So, we're like, we're pretty yeah, close in age yeah. here. And even those, like, I'm trying to remember the name of oh. them. I'm sure someone's going to message me after this and give me, like, you know, kind of like chastise me for, for not remembering this. But, like, the CD players that, like, purported to be, like, the sport disc yeah, bands, the anti like, the, like, yeah. the anti skippers yeah. they all skipped. Yes. Every single one of those suckers skipped. There was, like, no difference. No. And they
1: were huge and they would bounce around on your hip and kind of leave a little. Like, if you try to run with it, wild, well, leave a little, like, scab or something on your hip because it was just so uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, you had to try to, like, hold it in your yeah. hand to try to, like, alleviate, like, the bouncing. Yeah. But there were, like, it was basically, like, a big circle. So you couldn't even, like, hold it effectively. You had to, like, turn your hand, like, kind of, like, upside down. Not upside down, but you had to, like, hold it like you were holding, like, a, like a wine glass <laughs> from, like, the bottom. <laughs> And i hold it, and you had to hold it like that same sort of like steadiness. You would like not, obviously, not move half of your upper body oh my to gosh, hold it.
1: That is so true. That is so true.
0: <laughs> Cause that was like right when like pirating music was just coming out. Yeah. And it was like every time you tried to like get a free song on the internet, like there was like a 50% chance that you were gonna get like a virus in your yeah. computer.
1: Yep. And I had so many mixed CDs, and I had, I even created a whole bunch of good running CDs and stuff to go in there. But yeah, it didn't, never worked out.
0: Right, because it was kind of like that awkward period between, like, CDs were so prevalent, there was no reason to buy a tape, but, like, tapes were, like, so much more useful because they wouldn't skip. So you could, like, make the mixtapes, but you're, like, kind of, like, six to eight years removed from mixtapes. Right. <laughs> so you would never really create them in retrospect, but they were, like, much better for that purpose. Exactly,
1: yeah. They didn't have the skipping. Yeah, I didn't get my first iPod. I think I had it in 2006. So, yeah. Yeah. I went all through college without that fun technology.
0: I'm trying to remember when they even came out. Cause so I remember the MP3 players were out first and they were so like, I don't know. I mean, you had to put your MP3 somewhere. So it was nice, but they were definitely like, once the iPod came out, it was such a revolution that the other MP3 players like didn't stand. Oh chance. yeah.
1: Well, my first marathon in 2007, I was wearing, I had my huge iPod on the side of my hip right there. And I ran with it the whole time. And I had a pretty gnarly scab there after the marathon. <laughs>
0: Yeah, because those things were basically as big as an iPhone is now, but all they could do was play music. Yeah. They had no other functionality. Yeah, and
1: they were heavier. They felt a little heavier too, but, you know, it could be forgetting, you know, if they were heavier or not.
0: Well, yeah, you also didn't have, like, the armbands back no. then. No. Like, now there's so many, like, accessories to carry yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. All right, we're going like way (laughs) off topic here, but it feels so good to like reminisce about this stuff because, like, I feel like I never do. All right. So I feel like this is like a whole different episode of like technology of like of yesteryear. Well, it's kind of that, like, luckily we don't have it. I know,
1: but it's fun when somebody else is from your generation. You can be like, remember this? Remember when it was so hard back then? So,
0: well, the other thing too, speaking of that, is like the treadmills back then were very different because now, like, You can get, like, shock-absorbing treadmill. Like, there's no such thing as, like, non-shock-absorbing treadmills.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like,
0: back then, like, they were, like, state-of-the-art. Like, you had to spend, like, really, in this case, like, your college would have had to spend, like, a ton of money to get, like, the the shock-absorbing treadmills, which weren't even that great back then. But they were basically, like, like... Places where like shin splints were like born were like these old yeah. They wouldn't have
1: put them in the regular student gym. They would have given them to the you know athletes that were you know doing rehab or you know doing workouts. So I definitely had those old school treadmills when I was running back then.
0: Yeah. So, but I guess I bring that up because like again, I just said this before, but like the fact that you were running for an hour on that thing, especially for six hours a week, that definitely is mental training. Because if you can do that, then you can run, like, significantly farther outside when it's, like, a lot nicer and, you know, much more fun. And I know a lot of people, I'm one of them, I can't run nearly as quickly on the treadmill as I can outside. Some people are like, the opposite and some people are kind of, like, the same. They'll run outside down the treadmill at the same pace. I'm one of those people who, like, you know, say I run nine-minute pace easy outside. If I run after like nine thirty or nine 40 to feel the same. Oh, so. no,
1: I'm the same way. It's a lot harder on the treadmill. I do. Even today I do treadmill runs pretty often just because they have a gym daycare, which is easy, you know, being able to take my daughter there if I need to get a run in or if I woke up late and need to do that. But it's definitely a lot harder to hit the paces you want. Um, I feel a lot more sluggish on the treadmill.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Especially those first oh, yeah. couple miles. Wow. So when did you start racing? And why did you start racing? You know,
1: I can't quite remember why. It was 2005, and I want to say it was a 10K maybe. I can't quite remember, but it was on – it was a 10K. uh, It was more than a 5K. I know that. But it was uh, along this river in – the Rio Grande River in – Las Cruces, New Mexico, where I was, I had graduated from college and it was at, it was called the La Llorona race. And I don't know if you know the history of La Llorona, but it's this you know, myth that this ghost haunts the riverways, And if any children are wandering close to the river, she'll take the children and snatch them up or something like that. So it's a big Mexican folklore, um, mostly to keep the children away from the rivers. Uh, so that was, I
0: like yeah. that. I'm going to do the same thing with my, uh, with my dessert, my, like my dessert right? <laughs>
1: Don't touch that dessert. Um, <laughs> exactly.
0: You never know. Ghosts will come and get you.
1: Yeah. So I just, I thought for some reason, I just, I heard about the race and I was gonna, I was like, might, I might as well go out and sign up for it. And I did. And I had a lot of fun doing that. Um, and then I decided to do this really crazy trail race after that. And I'd never done a trail run in my entire life. So um, it was uh, the Baylor Canyon Pass trail run in New Mexico and Las Cruces And again, we're at probably 4,500 feet there. And then you go, they have these Oregon mountains there, these really steep mountains that kind of set the backdrop for Las Cruces. And um, the trail run went up and over the Oregon mountains. And it was about, I want to say it was like an eight mile race maybe. Uh, yeah. and I had no idea what I was getting into and I started the race and all of a sudden I'm just hiking up these crazy steep rocks that, you know, I'm almost too short to climb up. And, uh, but it was so much fun. I just, I really loved doing that and, you know, ended with a whole bunch of scrapes and bruises and everything from falling on the trail and stuff. And, um, did a couple of local races after that. And uh, did my first marathon in 2007.
0: Wow! So you really picked it up pretty quick once you got started with these races. I'm
1: sorry, you kind of cut out there. What was? The, what did you
0: say? Oh, so so once you started racing, you really took to it pretty quickly.
1: I did. Um, I did, and I did it. So I took I took to it uh, quickly, and I did. I would always do things in bursts for some reason. So I would you know sign up for several races you know within a few months, and then I would take a long break for several months. And then I would, you know, sign up for I, my, the first marathon I signed up for was the Carlsbad marathon in 2006, but then I didn't train for it. So I never ended up doing it. Uh, but so and it took until 2007 to finally work up the courage and actually do a little bit of training to get prepared for that. Uh, so it definitely wasn't the kind of training I'm doing now, but it was just more of a let's, you know, let's finish it. And I think the only thing that actually got me committed to the training was the fact I was a uh, reporter and editor for the local newspaper, the daily newspaper in Las Cruces. And uh, I, my editor told me, okay, so when you're done with the marathon, you need to write an article about doing the marathon. And I want you to have a blog about, you know, training. So, okay, that's your assignment. So I was like, oh man, I really have to finish this then. So (laughs) that's kind of what got me going, kept me going through the training and everything.
0: I'll tell you that's one way we held <laughs> right, accountable. Yeah. See that, like that was like basically like the like the early version of what a lot of people do now, where they like kind of chronicle their running career in social media. Oh,
1: exactly. Yep, exactly. Um, yeah, I think you can still find. I think you can still find it out there. I don't even remember what it is like. Run Gen K Run at Blogspot or something like that. I think it's still out there because I don't have the password and I can't get it taken down. So I was just like, eh. well, I guess it's out there for everybody to see. So if you want to, you know, see my crazy training antics, it's and eating Jolly Ranchers. I think it's still out there on the web.
0: Oh my <laughs> gosh, that's great. I got to like, I got to like research this and see if we can put it in the show notes because that would be fantastic. I wish I had seen that before this episode. I definitely would have tried to break out some lines. Oh my gosh, that's fantastic. I'm so glad that I don't have any of those things out there on the internet from like, you know, when I was two years outside of college, I can only imagine oh, some of the things I would have written. Right?
1: Yeah, I'm so glad we didn't have all the social media in college. That was, yeah.
0: <laughs> Luckily MySpace does. So with yes. all of my horrific <laughs> with all my horrific MySpace choices along with it.
1: Oh.
0: So then, sorry, so you're doing that, you're getting you're getting excited to run all these races. Why would you even signed up for a marathon if you like weren't even like committed to train for it?
1: You know, I, that's a really good question. I just, you know, I don't know something about me when I get kind of like a seed planted in my head, um, it's there and I'll just, I'll go for it. And, you know, even if I'm not fully prepared for it or something like that, I'll just kind of. Let's kind of see what happens um, and go for it. So uh, during my training, it wasn't the best training, especially for that first marathon. I missed a lot of runs. I probably missed half my runs. The longest I ran, I can't even remember the longest I ran now. Um, maybe like 16, 14 or 16 miles, maybe a little bit more. Uh, but yeah, I just, I really wasn't that committed to it. But I just I wanted to finish, and so that was my goal. As long as I could finish, I would be good. And I kind of wanted the experience. And for me, it was a bucket list item, so I was gonna do one marathon and kind of be done with it. Um. So. Yeah.
0: Surprise! Yeah,
1: surprise! <laughs> I think that's, surprise
0: didn't quite work out think that that's way. That's kind of everybody's um,
1: story, right? They do the first marathon, and then they're they're hooked.
0: That's funny. I had the exact opposite <laughs> experience. I ran my first marathon. And I think I was at mile 21, I'm like I am never ever <laughs> ever doing this again. This is a horrible decision. Um, but obviously it didn't quite work out that way for you. So what was the what, what what was the impetus for you of turning it from a bucket list race into later on in your life being one of the things that you put a lot of time and effort into doing?
1: Yeah, I right after that first race, so was, that was the my first one was the San Diego Rock and Roll. And, um, finished in 4:27 and some change. Um, but right after that, I kind of wanted to do another one right away. So I, even, I think in my blog, I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to shoot for, you know, sub four. And this is my goal. And somebody had mentioned Boston to me at that point, And I didn't really know too much what it was. I just knew that you had to run fast and try to get into it. And that was like the only way that you could get into it. So it kind of always just stayed in my head and I was always, I kept running. I didn't really do anything too competitive except for maybe a half marathon here, half marathon there. And I didn't do the next marathon until 2013. So that was, you know, quite a big break um, in between there. And I had convinced my husband at the time he was my boyfriend. No, were we married? Maybe we were married then. Yeah. We were already married then. And, um, you know, to start train for me to train for it and to start running it. And so he ran that as well. So it was kind of fun to just kind of do it together to get in the shape. And, um, you know, and then I took another long break after that.
0: And when you took these long breaks, was it because of injury burnout or just you kind of like, once you got out of the habit of running, you just kind of start doing other Yeah, courses. it
1: just in my head it was never like you stay in shape and you stay in training shape and you're always training for something. It was kind of like you have a training program, you train for your race and then when you're done, you're not doing it anymore. And that was just kind of in my head what you did and then when you wanted to do the next race you'd find another training program usually I find found them online and I would just kind of be like okay now let's start training again and so I'd always have that you know lull and then work up to it again and I never imagined how much better it would be to just always stay in training shape and just you know be ready to go and then just kind of have your build-ups in between.
0: So you just kind of had like a series of like Disparate short term goals instead of like this overarching goal that you were
1: building upon? Yeah, yeah. I didn't really have a big goal. It was kind of like, you know, and by the time I did my second marathon, I was just going to be, oh, I'll probably do a whole bunch of marathons in my life, but it wasn't. And I was going to try to get faster, but I wasn't, I didn't have like a crazy goal um, to do that.
0: Got it. And I heard you, you write, or heard you say, or seen you write that you started racing in 2016. And when you say racing, what do you mean by that? Because obviously you'd, you'd had you built up a pretty good resume of running experiences up to that point.
1: Yeah, I I say racing because I was actually starting to get competitive, and I was getting more curious to see what I could do. And I think that's the biggest thing for me when it comes to racing is. Not necessarily being competitive against other people, but being competitive with yourself and seeing what next level you can get to. So after I had my daughter um, in 2014, and after, her, I, after that, her she was born in December. So in 2015, I tried to get back into running, and I was just really struggling with it. So in the beginning of 2016, I made the goal to run one race a month. And it could be a 5K, a 10K, you know, a half marathon. But it was going to culminate in running the California International Marathon in December. And I was going to try to go for a Boston qualifying time um, at that race. So uh, that was just kind of my goal to get in shape that every month I would do you know, some kind of a race to do that and just kind of keep that fitness going instead of doing the start and stop that I had done my whole life. And I was able to stick with it. I started with, you know, 5k in January, 5k in February. I did a half marathon in March and then kind of worked from there and ended up joining the fleet feet racing team here in Sacramento that summer um, and actually started training with a coach um, from the team um, in August and that kind of took me to that next level of being able to BQ. And did, I did. you? I did. Yeah. Hey. hey. I did. It was, it was a really fantastic race. And, you know, I was able to negative split the marathon. And I was, you know, which never happens to me. Uh, so the training worked really well. And I was really excited about it. So.
0: That's wonderful. So what, what time did you end up running? It
1: was running? 3.26 and change. Yeah.
0: Oh, Jen. Yeah.
1: Lion. <laughs> Yeah,
0: that's great. So you, it must've improved a ton over 2016. Like, did you, was, what would, what did your improvement look like during that time? Was it fairly linear or were there hurdles or plateaus? What did it look
1: like? No, I I would think that it was a pretty steady um, flow to just getting faster that first year. It was uh, – I had never really pushed myself that far. I'd never done speed workouts really. I mean, during my very first marathon training, I did some track workouts, but it was always kind of the same. I think it was like 400s or something that I would do. But that was it. I never even tried to push beyond that. But uh, And this time I was incorporating tempo runs and recovery runs and long runs with GMP and just really practicing that. So this whole buildup, I mean, I think every – race I did, except for maybe like a 5K here and there. Um, I didn't get PRs at some of those, but every other big race that I did, I was, you know, getting a PR, which was kind of surprising for me because I was like, whoa, how is this happening? Um, The plateaus didn't come until the next year. So... (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay. And we'll, we definitely want to talk about those as someone who's, I, I, I told someone today, like I'm on a pla- I've been on a plateau so long. They brought the knee in the plateau oh, after no. me. I've been on this plateau yeah. so long. So we'll, we'll definitely talk about yeah. that. But, but when you were, say, starting your CIM training, hmm. you mentioned before GMP, which is goal marathon pace. What, what did you even use as a goal marathon pace, considering how much you were improving? Like, What was the accurate measure, say, in September October for what you thought you were capable of doing prior to that race?
1: My goal was going for anywhere between... So I think my coach at the time was telling me around like 8 to 8, 10-minute miles. Um, but
0: So that's like, what, it's 3.30 to 3.35? Yeah, and ish. so
1: my Boston qualifying time was going to be... 335 because by the time Boston came around, cause CAM happens in December. So you have to wait a whole year and a half and I was going to turn 35. So I was going to go up the next age group. So I had a little bit of a cushion, I think. So, uh, oh no. So it was going to be 340. So that was basically all I, I needed. But, uh, for some reason I was just like, no, oh, I'm going to go for the, you know, 750 to eight minute pace. And that was my goal. And I just, that's what I, focused on and that's what I I worked on. So I was able to, I stayed with the pacer who's actually a good friend of mine now. um, And I trained with him, David, but he was pacing the 330 group for CIM that year. And he was phenomenal pacer. Just, he took the so there are slight rollers at CIM, but it's a net downhill. So anytime a slight roller would come, he would take the rollers kind of slower and then just go faster on the downhills. And that strategy worked really well for me. So I stayed with him until about, you know, mile 22. And after that, you know, I kind of took off a little bit and that strategy seemed to work really well.
0: Oh, that's great. Good for you. So what, what made you kind of, um, kind of overshoot the plan a little bit in terms of all right, your coach said, Hey, eight to, eight to eight ten, what what do you think about you wanting to push for seven fifty to eight? I
1: don't That's a good question. Um I don't know, just being competitive, I guess. I think I probably had some other friends who were running about that pace, and so I was like, Well, I might as well try to do that too. Uh and I was feeling really good in the half marathon distance and I did want to have as much of a cushion as I could when it came to Boston, because you never know, you know, what the cushion um, is going to be. So I was like, if I shoot a little bit faster, then I'll be prepared for it. And then it will hopefully be a little bit easier during the marathon.
0: Yeah, definitely. If you have friends who you're training with, who are kind of similar goals, that can be a huge help, especially for a race like the marathon, Yeah, and
1: especially when you, you know, when you can do, if you can do a 5k at the same pace as that person or a half marathon at the same pace, and they're training for a marathon that maybe you seems a little bit out of reach for you, if they have the same abilities, you're like, okay, well, maybe I'll push a little bit farther because I can, or a little bit harder because I can, you know, try to keep up with them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I've definitely been there too. It really is a, it it can be very motivating and reassuring at different points. Yeah, Exactly. So tell me about the two thousand tell me tell me about two thousand seventeen <laughs> and some of the plateaus you experienced.
1: Um so yeah. Uh you know, I rolled into twenty seventeen, doing really well. Did um I don't know, I had a great some great 10Ks on the when you're on the Fleet Feet Racing team here in Sacramento. You also are kind of I guess an ambassador for the running community too. So we do a lot of volunteer hours at you know, packet pickups or races. And then we also do a whole bunch of the local races just to kind of be out there. So I did a ton of the local five K's and 10 K's and I, it wasn't necessarily a crazy plateau because I did still have two marathon PRs, but I struggled immensely uh, with those uh, marathons. And it was always the same story. I was, I did Eugene in May, and then I did uh, CIM in December and uh in CIM so i did 118 i can't remember the exact 118 something in Eugene and then at CIM i got like a 6 second pr um but on both of those races i died at mile 20 and uh just really struggled those last just to hold on those last 6 miles for both those marathons
0: oh interesting and looking back now do you know why that might have been the case uh,
1: definitely going out too fast that was, um, you know, I wanted a, start. so for Eugene, I was training for a 315, for CIM, I was training for close to do a 310, maybe slightly under that. And uh, I just, for some reason, I don't know, Eugene, I started off really fast in the beginning, And then kind of eased into kind of a regular pace, but then I just couldn't hang on. And then at CIM, I started out conservative and then went really fast in the middle for some reason and then died again at mile 20. Uh, So I was really struggling kind of mentally uh, to keep it together in those marathons.
0: And what do you how do you look at marathons now? like learning from those experiences how do you view either making sure that you're going out at the right speed or making sure that you're kind of that you, that you know the pace you need to run is, is is the right pace
1: i'm sorry can you repeat that one more time you kind of cut out a little bit
0: all right so so looking back on those two races and trying to learn from those experiences mm-hmm. do you feel like you just went out too fast or that the plan was too fast
1: you know i think that maybe a little bit of both I think I, I had it in me to do those, you know, hit those goal paces or, um, that goal time. Um, but I just, I don't know if I necessarily trained as hard as I should have for, uh, to get that time. And then I definitely just, I don't know why I was trying to bank time. And that's always a Sure, fail when it comes to marathons. But I was thinking about that during Eugene and CIM, just like if I can get a little bit faster. Um, and then you get a little bit greedy because you're like, oh, what if I can get even a little bit faster? What if I can get, you know, 308 instead of a 310, and then you go just a little bit faster. And when you should have just stuck with the plan to kind of get to what your original goal was.
0: Right. No, absolutely. And now, to here we are, 2018. You're kicking butt. You ran a 129.12 12 in the half, 649 pace, which compared to 2016, you ran 645 pace for a 5K. So back in 2016, you run that 5K, you run 2056. Yes. If someone had told you that, hey, two years from now, you're going to run basically the same pace, but do it for a half marathon, uh, what would have you uh, said?
1: like, no way. There's no way. I remember ending that 5K race and going up to my husband and being like, I stayed in the sixes the whole time. I stayed in the 650 range I was 640 to 650 range. I was so excited. I was like, I'd never gotten to the sevens. Um, so to me, I was just, yeah, I didn't think it would have been possible within two years. I thought it was going to, I wanted to get faster and I wanted to be able to do that, but I thought it was maybe going to take me a little bit longer.
0: And what was the key to getting there for you?
1: Consistency. Uh, consistency and training. I've really haven't stopped training since, you know, I real, I started that goal. And, uh, at the beginning of January in 2016 to run one race a month. And I don't run a race every month now, but I'm consistently training, um, you know, every week, every day, uh, something working towards my big goals that I have.
0: And what does your training look like now in terms of mileage and what kind of workouts you're doing? So
1: it's definitely, it's increased tremendously. Uh, So this last week I did my first ever 80 mile week.
0: I saw that. uh, Congratulations.
1: You know, surprisingly felt pretty good. It wasn't, you know, I do, of course you have a lot of recovery miles in there, but you have some really hard workouts in there. Um, And so I have a, you know, a little bit more than that this week and a little bit more than that next week. So yeah, it's building up for CIM.
0: All right. And you just mentioned you have some big dreams. You have some big goals. What are some of those?
1: So my big goal for CIM is to break three and the marathon. So I, uh, I, you know, you had Robert Russell Moyer on the, on the podcast recently. So he's my coach and uh, he's just absolutely phenomenal. And I think believes in all his trainees more than, the people themselves do so that's always really helpful and just I told him what some of my crazy scary goals are when he started uh, coaching me back in May and um, he was just right on board with everything so when he told me after I ran San Francisco half marathon and broke 90 minutes he was just like okay let's go for breaking three at CIM and I was like all right let's do it <laughs> kind of nervous but also kind of excited.
0: Yeah. So did you know at that point that the mileage was going to step up to the to the 80s?
1: I did. Yeah. And that was my that was kind of why I wanted to work with um, Robert as well, because I knew it's kind of his strategy is having higher mileage. And uh, a lot of the people that were my friends that he had started coaching like a year before were seeing a lot of success with that. And I was always curious about doing higher mileage. So I was just kind of wanting to experiment with it and see, um, you know, how my body reacts to it.
0: Got it. So you ran a 5k and you were pumped that you didn't get into the sevens. Then you ran a half marathon pretty much the same thing. Maybe you hit the sevens a little bit, but you average 649. And basically you want to run a marathon where you do the same. I know, I
1: know. Get under I know, the sevens. it's crazy. I know.
0: <laughs> so what do some of these workouts look like for you Um trying to reach that goal so i you know, this is this is uncharted territory for me i've never you know i'm not I'm, I'm not that even close to this level of a runner so i'm i know my own workouts not much more of a short short distance mm-hmm. racer so what is a sub three minute goal marathon workout like for you
1: um so uh just for instance well so i always have a track workout you know one day a week um and that's anything from you know just regulars you do like Yes, yeah, so 800s, or you do a mix of like 400s and different distances for that. But when it comes to maybe, I always have another long run during the middle of the week, and that's where I kind of practice my GMPs. So let's say I'll do like 12 miles on a Friday and do, you know, three miles at, you know, two repeats of three miles at GMP with a mile in between or something like that. Um, and so, any, anything like that, sometimes it varies when it comes to that kind of stuff, sometimes it's half marathon pace, sometimes it's goal marathon pace, but um, just really trying to get comfortable with that speed and kind of know what it feels like. So you can stick with it during the marathon.
0: Absolutely. So CIM, that's always the first weekend in December, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. The first Sunday. Yeah.
0: Okay. So, so when does your training peak? Is that right around Thanksgiving? You get about two weeks off or are you thinking three week taper?
1: Um, probably about, two weeks usually. So I haven't really talked about the, you know, big game plan with, um, Robert, um, leading up to that, but yeah, it's probably about a two week taper is usually what my body feels, feels good with.
0: That's yeah. awesome. So what is your, I've also seen on your Instagram that you have, you have like the, like the, I don't even want to say it out loud because it's such a big goal. And like, I'm so excited <laughs> for you, but it's big. You have it, you be, you have it out there. So, yeah. You have the Olympic trials qualifier dream out there for yourself. Tell me about not only the importance of setting big goals, but being vocal about them.
1: Yeah. um, It's so scary to say that out loud that I want to uh, go to the Olympic marathon trials. Uh, But I don't know. It's just, why not say it out loud? Why not go for the big, scary goal? Because I would, be more devastated later in life if I didn't try. And, you know, when I'm, you know, hopefully if I make it to a really old age and I can't run anymore, um, I'm going to wa- always wonder, you know, if I never tried, I'm always going to wonder about it. So I just, I kind of want to just put it out there. And it kind of makes you more accountable too when you put it out there for other people. And, um, yeah, I don't know. There's a, a sense of empowerment and, vulnerab- and vulnerability when you put your scary goal out there and talk about it.
0: Yeah. And those are two basically paradoxical. Exactly. Things.
1: Exactly. But I don't know. I, for some reason, once I, once I said it and I have to give credit to Amanda Cruz, when you had her on the podcast, they listened to her and she was talking about just talking you know, sharing your goals with people and just say it. And I was just like, you know what? I do just need to say it. And I told my friends and I've told my family about it, but I'd never said it on social media. So it was after that, I actually did post it on my, uh, Instagram.
0: Oh, so it's been out there for a while. I love it. I love yeah. it. Well, you're <laughs> obviously improving at a rapid rate, so let's keep it going. And not only are you running a ton of for your training, but shoot, your business is running. It
1: is. (laughs) Literally,
0: literally and figuratively, your business is running. So tell people about this, because this is so interesting.
1: Yeah, so uh, in 2016, I started a running tours business. Um, At the time, it was called SAC Running Tours, and, uh, you know, I was teaching, before I had my daughter, I was teaching um, history at the community college level But it was just kind of and I was working at um, in marketing at UC Davis as well. And um, so I decided after I had her not to go back to work, um, the kind of trying to piece together um, teaching and all that kind of stuff was just so difficult, getting adjunct positions at different colleges and stuff. So um, I decided to stay home with her. And after her first year birthday, I wanted to get back into work and was trying to figure out what to do. And I always had this idea to do running tours. Uh, I remember, you know, traveling around after college and wanting to go on a run around different cities in Europe, but they didn't have running tours back then. And I did some bike tours and everything. So it always stuck in my head like, oh, you know, Sacramento is really cool. It would make a really good running tour, you know, business. And I could get my miles in while I'm working so i just i started the company and uh recently it's moved over so now it's called Sac tour company so it's running walking and biking tours of sacramento
0: now this is like such an interesting conversion you went from like college adjunct college professor which is like pretty much the opposite of someone with an entrepreneurial spirit. Right. I say that as someone who's worked in higher ed ever since I graduated from higher right. ed to like, to starting your own small business. So what was that like in terms of such a drastic change in your professional
1: life? Oh my gosh. It's, Oh, it's immensely difficult and different from anything I've ever done before. Um, just, you know, the whole process of even getting your business going and, you know, You know, designing, I designed my own website and did all this kind of stuff and just trying to figure out what the next step was and also just getting the name out there. The hardest thing for me at the beginning of the business was getting people to understand what the business was because the biggest reaction I got from people was like, wait, what? You run and go around Sacramento and people pay you? What? So people didn't really understand the concept of running tours and how they worked.
0: Interesting. It's also hard because like your target audience are people who aren't already in Sacramento, right? Or there's or do you find locals doing it, or is it most people most people visiting Sacramento as a
1: tourist? You know, it's a you know, it's actually it kind of depends on the tour. So it did it started as running tours only, and the majority of people I was getting were people coming in from out of town, and that's kind of who I marketed to. Um, I had flyers in all the hotels, and you know, kind of worked with the concierges at the hotels, and so I had some you know, clients that were coming in, maybe they're in town for a conference or stuff like that. Um, But when the Wide Open Walls Festival started in Sacramento, that's a huge mural festival. Now in its third year, it started in 2016 and it's a 10 day festival where artists from all over the world come and they have to paint a mural in 10 days on the side of buildings. So we have like 40 different murals that go up within 10 day period. And uh, the people for Wide Open Walls invited me to be the main tour person for that. So they said, as long as you are okay with adding walking tours. So I was like, okay, I can do walking and running. That that makes sense. So after that, then my business was mostly walking tours. And so I have, I would say still, it's about maybe 75% walking tours. And then the rest of it is split up evenly between the biking and the running tours. But uh, for running tours, the majority of people are from out of town. And then walking tours, it's mostly people who live within the Sacramento area, and they'll bring people, like if they have friends or family from out of town that are in town for a little bit, they'll sign up for a walking tour to take them on a tour. Or um, I have a lot of schools, so like elementary, junior high, high schools that will book big tours, and I'll show them like the murals around Sacramento or, you know, a history tour and um, or conferences when they're in town, I'll, you know, do tours for them as well.
0: Very cool. This is great. So how would someone book a tour?
1: You can go to the website, uh, SACTourCompany.com. And I have kind of a form on the website. And if you want to, you can sign up for, if you want to sign up for a public tour, you can check out the um, calendar. There's always some tours available. I do uh, the mural tours. I have the Lady Bird movie tour. I don't know if you saw that movie, Lady Bird, that um, was nominated.
0: No, I didn't. I mean, I know of it. I don't, I don't. I got to be honest with you. I I don't see many movies besides Pixar movies these days with the kids. Um, Well,
1: it was filmed. A lot of it was filmed in Sacramento. It's based in Sacramento and it was written and directed by a native Sacramentan. So, um, and it was nominated for five Academy Awards. So I have a tour of the filming locations uh, for that movie. So we do that as well. And then also a history and sightseeing tour of Sacramento. And uh, I'm just about to launch a art and food tour. Next month.
0: Oh, nice. Well, I know is how, how's eating and eating and moving. Isn't the best move. Are you eating a lot of these tours? This this, this, this new this new food Well, tour that one's going to be a
1: walking tour, so that would be you know you go in, you sample oh, okay. a little bit of appetizer at a local restaurant, then you go and walk and look at some murals, and then you go inside to another one. So it's a little bit, yeah. Oh, that's nice. <laughs>
0: There you go. See, then the last thing you need is the pub crawl exactly.
1: tour. Exactly. Well, there's yeah.
0: See, then there's you a get... really
1: cool one, too, in, um, in London. the It's like the Secret London Tours or something, and there's a woman who owns it, and she does a gin tours. So Ooh. that seems pretty cool.
0: I yeah. love it. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah, I can see someone, especially if, like, one of those cities or local, urban areas that have a lot of craft brews, I can see that being yeah cool thing all right well that that is awesome that i wish i lived somewhere near you i basically live on the other end of the country so i'll probably not be doing that Uh, anytime soon but it does sound very cool yeah well
1: if you're ever here you just um, definitely have to go on a tour with me
0: all right i guaranteed i'll do that i have no (laughs) idea when that will be but i'm in um all right so let's get into the last questions i like to do at the end of every episode um, if you are going for a run, are you going headphones or no, uh, headphones? no
1: headphones, unless I'm on the treadmill and then that's when I either listen to music or podcasts.
0: All right. If you're listening to music, what are you I'm listening sorry, to? Sorry, you cut
1: out right there. What did you say?
0: If you're listening to music, what oh, do you got yeah. on?
1: Sorry. You're like really cutting out. Let me, let me try to hold on. Oh no. All right. Real quick. Okay. Can you hear me better? I can hear you.
0: Got it. Yeah, I heard. I hear you okay. just fine. So if you're listening to music on the headphones, um, what are you listening to? Okay,
1: so my favorite Pandora station is the Stereo Love station. So it, play, it plays kind of like dance music. I, I like anything with a really good beat. And surprisingly, I'm not a huge fan of Pitbull, but I love running to Pitbull. Yeah, it's so oh, weird.
0: Okay, <laughs> there you. go. I've heard that before too. That's okay. not, you're not the so, first person to say that. I, I've it's definitely a got that before. Perfect running beat. Before.
1: Like you can keep your stride going. So if I have to do like hills on a treadmill, it's like, perfect.
0: There you go. See, all right, you've been yeah. running for a long <laughs> time. You basically had the 10 year foundation of running and then you got into, you know, kind of three straight years now of racing really hard. So what advice do you give other people about running that you have trouble following?
1: Ooh, um, recover well, really take advantage of recovery, whether, It's running a little bit slower on your recovery days. um, Maybe taking a mental day off if you really need one. Um, It's okay sometimes to not go for a run if you really need to not do that. Um, And also just eating well and rolling out. I think that's, you know, a lot of people I talk to, they still have a hard time with that. It's just hard to make, when you're not a professional runner, it's hard to make extra time for all the upkeep you need to do. But that's something that I'm still working on every day.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And some of those can be time intensive, right? If you're doing a lot of things, it can be hard to get eight hours. Oh,
1: exactly. Or if I, you know, I right. put my you know, daughter down to sleep and I fall asleep next to her and then I don't get up to go, you know, roll out and I just kind of like mosey into bed instead, you know? So it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty tough to do that.
0: Right. I know. So you almost have to like, you almost have to incorporate the rolling with like another activity. It's like, all right. You, all right, you're gonna right, get your yeah. Netflix time in. Okay, well, it's also <laughs> yep, gonna be your exactly. rolling time. All right, so if you could run, what if you only if you could only run, excuse me, one more race for the rest of your life, but you could run it every year. What race would Say, that be?
1: Probably Boston. Oh, I yeah. didn't see that coming.
0: Because <laughs> you had you had quite a Boston oh experience this year. I I loved the quote that you had. So here I am. I like had already like closed up that page, but I thought it was really well said because as everyone knows, Boston this year was quite an endeavor for, for yes. everybody who ran it obviously with all the weather, but your quote, which I thought was great was Boston didn't make me stronger and made me realize that I was strong all along. When did you, when did that idea come to you? Um,
1: probably during, during the marathon itself. Uh, It definitely wasn't a, it wasn't a PR race at all. And I was coming off an injury. So I wasn't even, you know, I wasn't even running that much. I was doing half running, half cycling and pool running. And so it was just a horrible training cycle, but I went into the marathon knowing I would finish and I knew I would have a decent race and I don't know what it was. I was just, even though the weather was horrible, it was just the race itself was epic And the people of Boston are the most amazing people. I have never been thanked so much for being in a city. As people would stop me on the side of the street when I was wearing my jacket. I'm like getting goosebumps talking about it. And just be like, where are you coming from? You ran the marathon. Thank you so much for coming to Boston. And I think it was just that experience. The whole city rallying around um, this one event that would just always stay with me.
0: Wow. So are you going back again 2019? No, Did you just register? I'm
1: not going to do it next year. I think it's going to be something I'm going to try to do maybe every few years or so, but I feel kind of selfish making our, you know, family vacations centered around my, you know, running. So going all the way from California to Boston is kind of a big trip. Yeah,
0: I hear you. I feel the same way. Like I won't even travel right. like an hour for a race. <laughs> right. Never yeah. mind. Never mind going across yeah. the country. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. All right. Other end of the spectrum. What's a bucket list I have race? Say the
1: Olympic marathon trials. Yep.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm glad. I'm glad you said that. All right. And what is it's going to be? I know the next one, 2020. Yeah, Yeah, but
1: I am. Right. My goal really is for the one after that. I mean, that's kind of my end goal, and then right. you know I'll be gosh when that one happens like in my early 40s so yeah we'll see we'll see how age and everything kind of helps well, you'll be out. kicking butt
0: <laughs> there you go hey we just had jenny hitchens she's on the phenomenal.
1: show Oh,
0: and she's phenomenal she's doing crazy things at yes. at 55 i mean she was running 251 and he's fit you know 250 not 251 she ran well she ran the 10 mile and yeah i ran that race 20. that day
1: Yeah. 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 Oh, you did. did? It wasn't a great race. I was coming off of a respiratory infection, but I was, I remember ending the race and they're like, Jenny just broke the American record for her age group. So everybody was so excited about it.
0: Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, that's just unbelievable. All right. Last one. Who's your dream running partner?
1: Um, I would say my daughter. So she is only three and a half now. And so I just, if, if she decides she wants to be a runner when she grows up, because I'll support what she wants to do, I just, I can't wait to run long distances with her and maybe run a marathon with her someday.
0: I love it. Thank you so much for your, all your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for your patience to actually yeah. get this thing done. I it, it took a while, but it was certainly worth it. Thank you so much, Jen. Uh, I really you. appreciate it. Thank you. It was
1: so much it. fun chatting with you Okay, you too. All right. Have a great
0: night. Thank you again, Jen, for coming out of the show. This was such a fun conversation, and I'm so glad that we ended up making time and getting this thing done. This was just so much fun. Good luck with your fall racing. I'm so excited to see what you're going to be able to do in the short and long term. Also, Big ups to our sponsor, Run for PR's Coaching. If you've listened to this podcast, we've had Victoria on, we've had Heather on. They're doing great work. There's absolutely no doubt about that. And let them help you. Runforprs.co. Say you heard about it at the Rambling Runner podcast. It gives us a nice little boost. And the big, like I said during the mid-roll, the biggest thing is that you get a boost. And having a coach can absolutely help you do just that. So thank you again. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And happy running.